Okay, hello. Can anyone hear me? If there's anyone watching, technical difficulties are fun. <laughs> Let's see. Can anyone hear me? If Is it working this time? Can you hear me? <laughs> should I should I pray again? <laughs> My audio is working. Let's see. Thumbs up. Does that mean people can hear me? Anyone? Hello, hello. Okay, cool. So we have some audio. I, I hope you can you can hear me well. I'm not really not sure what's going on with my audio. It's so weird. I have an external microphone. Um, it should have been using that that output, but it's it's not our input. But it's it wasn't. So hopefully my headphones are working. Um, but what I did where nobody could hear me um, was I started off with prayer. So if you can hear me now, um, I'd like to start off with prayer. If you have any audio problems, please let me know because I'm trying to figure out what's going on in my end. Um, but let, let's, let's pray. Let's pray again. Can't ever pray too much. So the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, we ask that you pour out your spirit again, a continual renewal, continual outpouring of your Holy Spirit into our lives, into our healing, into the healing of those around us. Anyone we know that is suffering, struggling with any type of anxiety, mental health issues, depression, OCD, scrupulosity, um, anything Lord that, that is really an obstacle in our lives, anything that we want to offer up to you. We just open that up to your spirit that um, you might pour out your Holy Spirit for true healing um, to help us to pick up the tools that you have placed in front of us to take real steps towards real healing. Uh, with your real help, Lord, with your real grace. So we just offer that up tonight, and we just ask for your, your guidance and your wisdom as we answer these questions about mental health and mental health from a Catholic perspective. We thank you, Lord, and we ask this all in your name. Amen. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so if you are watching, um, thank you for bearing, bearing with my audio here. Um, I was trying to say my audio is terrible is that I'm new to this. And so um, it, there you go. That, that shows you. So um, <clears throat> if you do have any questions at all about mental health, mental health from a Catholic perspective, please feel free to put that in the chat. Um, anticipating, because this is the first time I've done this, I was really not sure if, uh, if anybody would be watching. Um, so I asked a few people um, kind of around me to come up with some questions to see um, what they want to know about mental health from a Catholic perspective. So um, I, I've, I have some really good people that came up with some really good questions that they want to know. But if you have questions, I would love to answer them live if you want to enter them into the chat there. Um, but otherwise, I'm going to get started. And I guess before I do that, I can also give a little bit more background about myself. So my name is Adam Cross. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm living, I live in Southern California. I'm also a youth minister out here at our local Catholic parish. Um, been working in youth ministry for coming up on seven years now and have been working in therapy coming up on seven years now. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah. So uh, a wealth of experience with teens and young adults and in therapy, I work a lot with, with teens, young adults, but especially treating anxiety, uh, depression, OCD, scrupulosity, um, sexuality um, issues, um, faith issues, um, a lot of life transitions and things like that. But predominantly in the past, especially what, eight months with COVID, a lot of anxiety, a lot of scrupulosity has come up, especially from a Catholic perspective. And one of the things I tell all my clients is really my, my framework and um, my foundation for therapy is that you don't have to be crazy to go to therapy. You don't have to be rock bottom. I think most um, therapists would prefer that you're not there by the time you get to therapy. Um, and that really um, therapy is a place to begin to have a relationship with yourself. And so that's my foundation is that, you know, if we are spending time with a friend um, and a friend's going through a hard time, what do we do? We might get coffee with them. We might get food, probably talk with them and we'll probably really listen to our friend. Um, maybe we'll offer suggestions. We'll try to help them. Um, but it's often an experience of being with people as well. And so therapy is that opportunity to do that with yourself, to encounter yourself, to build that relationship with yourself. Um, and to understand why we what we do, right? Um, I love The Office and Michael Scott often talks, you know, yes, Toby, I think it's season two or three says, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> why do you do the things that you do, right? And I, because it's such a question I think we need to ask ourselves, why are we the way that we are? And so therapy is that opportunity to be able to ask ourselves those questions. Why am I feeling how I'm feeling? Why am I thinking how I'm thinking? And to make sense of that, when we do that and we kind of unpack it on the table, sort through it, um, we understand what's going on with us. We understand ourselves better. We can actually see how God is working in our lives, even in our emotions and our thoughts. And when we're able to take that step back and look at everything going on, we can make better decisions in our lives. We can live life to its fullest as Christ calls us to live life. Um, so therapy isn't something that, you know, I think it, oftentimes it is stigmatized, but it's not something that you do out of weakness. It's not something that you do, um, you know, because you're, you're out of control. It's something that we all need this relationship with ourselves, right. Uh, that God calls us to, because we begin to have a relationship with ourselves. We see God working in our lives, deeper relationship with God and others as well. Right? I also work with couples. And so that's kind of that journey. It's building a relationship and then being able to express yourself, communicate yourself to the other in marriage, in a relationship, um, that helps build healthy, stronger relationships and marriages once we've done our own work and we understand what's going on with us. Okay. So um, that being said, kind of the first question we have tonight is how do you control anxiety or fear about the future? Um, that is a huge question that I get a lot, um, especially with young adults trying to discern majors, trying to discern uh, vocations, life paths, everything like that. Um, one of the biggest things I would say is that anxiety when choosing what you're going to do with the rest of your life is completely normal. <laughs> that might not be super comforting, um, but it is, right? If you're going to decide what you're going to be doing for the next 30, 40, 50 years, that's a huge decision. And so 
questioning whether the right choice is probably going to be a natural part of the process. Um, maybe it's not a fun part of the process. It's not good. But if you experience some level of worry in making a big decision, I want to say you're not alone. That's okay. Now, tools to, to use to deal with that, right? To know how to manage anxiety. But first and foremost, that level of anxiety is normal, right? It's fear-based and it's a big decision. Um, second thing I would say is that, you know, coming from a Catholic perspective, when we're trying to um, control anxiety and fear, that's, that's really where God comes in. And, you know, scripture talks about that, you know, how much more to the day can we add by worrying? Um, and personally, struggling with anxiety, especially in college, I would, I would get kind of ticked off at scripture verse. Um, but there is some truth in it is a, because anxiety is rooted in our responses often to control. It's like, I need to control this. I need more control, but more control usually means more anxiety. And so there is a level of acceptance that comes with, um, with anxiety, um, to accept and even normalize. I'm feeling just for a good reason, right? Now, maybe I don't like how, what I'm doing with that, but to accept and normalize that the anxiety is there. It's almost give yourself permission to say, yeah, I have to make a big decision, right? Um, so we can, we can enter into that acceptance. And in therapy, I do a lot of that. I'll really examine what is the root fear, right? Anxiety is about fear. What is the root fear? Um, something in, in, the, in psychology that we all often talk about is cognitive distortions too. These of mental traps we can fall into. Um, and they can be things like you know, catastrophizing. Like my anxiety takes me to the worst case scenario. What's the worst possible scenario? Okay, let's think about that all day, right? Something that's not helpful, but something that we all do. I do it, right? We all have these kind of cognitive distortions. And, you know, something that really helps, and I did a couple podcasts with two different um, psychologists from Souls and Hearts. You could check out their stuff as well. But they reminded me too that, you know, at some point in our lives, these cognitive distortions, this anxiety, right? It was something that worked for us. It was something that helped us. Um, and so now it's kind of out of place. And so when we're trying to control anxiety, we, it helps to make sense of it. Why is that there? Why, why do I do that thing? Why do I have that coping mechanism? Why do I catastrophize? At some point, it really helped you to survive, right? So there's that acceptance piece. But then the other part of our faith is really letting God be God in that, that acceptance piece of I can't control everything in the future. I can understand my anxiety. Um, I can make sense of it. I can't really control the outcome. So inviting God into that as well. Um, and that's not just, you know, simple, oh, just pray the anxiety away, right? Prayer is amazing and it's helpful. Um, keep praying. <laughs> but, but also, right, in addition to the prayer, taking these real steps, one of the biggest things I like to recommend for clients with anxiety is, is letter writing um, or journaling. It's having that daily exercise of checking in with yourself. How am I feeling today? What's the anxiety about? What's behind the anxiety? Um, you know, what are the thoughts that are connected with the anxiety? Um, so again, trying to control the anxiety can often lead to more anxiety. Um, so there is a level of acceptance and then being able to talk about it really helps too. And that could be with therapist, with a friend, um, but journaling, writing things out to get it out of your head again, to process it, build that relationship with yourself, helps you understand things and can help you make better decisions.
in general. Okay, that was a, a hopefully a too long-winded answer to that question, but it's a really big question that I think so many Americans and humans are struggling with right now because things like COVID and we don't know what the future is going to look like. Um, so that's, that's really huge. Um, next question is how do we deal? And also thank you guys for commenting. Hello everyone. Um, Veronica Albert, thank you guys for, for uh, commenting there. If you have any questions at all, please feel free to type them in here. Um, next question that I have is how do we deal with judgments or anxieties about others potentially judging us? Um, this has been a big one that has come up for even me personally, right? It's, you know, we live in a world where there are a bajillion opinions, right? That's a real number. Um, everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a judgment. Um, and they're often pretty snap judgments or opinions of us, whether that's work or friends or church or, you know, social media, right? A million out there. And one of the things that really has helped me was looking at um, as first Corinthians, I think it's chapter four, where St. Paul talks about how um, no human court, right? There is, there is no um, human judgment that, um, that really affects his self-worth. And he actually goes on to say that there is, there is no human judgment. So others can't judge him, but even he, he can't judge himself um, that his own judgment of himself at the end of the day really does not matter. And that really stuck out to me. Right, because we think, well, it's really about how I view myself. But Saint Paul reminds us that actually it's about how God views us. It's about how God judges us. And especially in the the New Testament, here that that Christ wants to pour out His mercy on us. That Christ uh, calls us His beloved sons and daughters, or beloved sons and daughters of the Father. And and that's what we're being called to. So you know, in my videos, I talk a lot about how. Um, we really need this reminder. We really need a daily reminder of the gospel. We have a daily responsibility to, to evangelize ourselves, to preach the gospel to ourselves. I know there's a lot of people that say that. I, I definitely heard Chris Stefanik talk about that. But how critical that is, that we can get lost in the judgments of other people. Uh, and we can get lost heads, right? Assuming the judgments of other people. And at the end of the day, to step back and say, the only judgment that matters is, is, and God is just trying to love me in this moment, right? To turn to scripture, to turn to the sacraments. Um, those are the reminders that we, we really need. Um, so I think that is so critical for us to just be able to remind ourselves of the gospel, the good news on a daily basis. Okay. Um, next question. And thank you for, um, for, for putting this question in Kobe. Um, so let's see, talking about, um, accepting intrusive thoughts. Let's see. Yeah. So accepting intrusive thoughts, um, that can be a scary thing. And I think it depends a little bit on what this, um, what the intrusive thoughts really are. And I guess disclosure on all this, this obviously is not in any way therapy. This is a YouTube video of me answering questions. Um, but yeah, I do work a lot with, uh, with scrupulosity, OCD. Um, and so their intrusive thoughts can be confusing because they're, you know, it's this idea that why is this thought in my head? 
don't I have control over my thoughts? So if it's there, it must be there for a reason, right? I must be really wanting it or, you know, it must be true. And that's something that is scary to buy into. Um, and with scrupulosity, a lot of the time, it's something that is counter to, to God. So it could, you know, scrupulosity could involve blasphemous thoughts, um, could be thinking something about God that we really don't want, um, something we don't believe, but it's there. And so we're kind of stuck, like, why is this there? Um, is this like you're saying? Um, and, and what's going on with me? So what I found really helpful with scrupulosity and OCD is kind of the idea of, and, and I, you know, there's a couple of good analogies for it, but it's, it's, you know, one of them is, you know, if there's a dam in, uh, in this small village, right, there's a dam and it's, it's holding back the floodgates of <laughs> all the thoughts you could possibly imagine. This dam's got kind of leaks in it. Um, one analogy is those scrupulous thoughts are kind of those leaks, uh, or the intrusive thoughts are those leaks and the water's pouring. Now, what do we do? Do we try to tape it up? Do we spend all our day trying to fix it? And then the water keeps shooting through because it's exhausting to be blocking up all these holes that the water keeps pouring through. Um, and so the response to that, you know, really can be, I can try to block all those holes and probably just be exhausted. Right. And, and the water's still going to create new holes and new ways to get in, or I can, um, practice that acceptance of that thought is, um, that is there, but it's not my identity. And I, and I like how you said that, right. It's, it's there. God knows my heart that that thought is not my identity. I can leave that thought and not pursue it. Uh, and kind of along with that analogy, right. So pouring through, we can find that water to go, um, without trying to obsess about it. Oh, yep. I see it. It's flowing that way. I'm going to let it go. Right. Um, another analogy I really like is with intrusive thoughts. If, if you're on a train, you know, you kind of imagine yourself in a train station, you're sitting on a bench, <clears throat> your thoughts are like trains, right? Trains of thought, uh, pulling in maybe in all directions, all around us. Um, we can sit on that bench and we can let these trains go by without jumping on every train. So we can see it can say, Oh yeah, that's a train. That's a very negative train. That's a very, um, really don't like that train. I'm not going to jump on that train, right? We can choose intentionally which thoughts to kind of grab a hold and kind of try to run with. Now that practice takes time. It, it takes practice to build that ability to slow down our thoughts, to recognize what's going on in our thoughts, um, to be able to say, oh, yep, that's, that's, that's not a good thought. I don't want to jump on that one. Um, so suppressing it really is exhausting, like you're saying. Um, I totally hear that. And there's so many people that I see, even myself, sometimes I have to catch myself and kind of give myself permission to feel or to just acknowledge that it exists. I have to like it, but it's you know, and another great analogy, and I was chock full of analogies for, for scrupulous or intrusive thoughts, but it's kind of like the fly on the wall. I don't like there's a fly in here and I hate it. And I, I was trying to chase this fly and maybe I would catch it. Maybe I wouldn't, or I can sit here and refocus on what I'm doing and I can accept that the fly is there. And you know what? Eventually that fly is going to die because what they have a 24 hour lifespan. It's very short. 
but it's that acceptance piece that says can um, accept that it's there. It doesn't find me. That thought is there. That doesn't mean that it's even my thought. Um, and I can focus on what I'm doing and be in the present. And that's critical for OCD and intrusive thoughts is that thoughts are just thoughts, right? They're a train passing by. If I say, don't think of pink elephants and you think of pink elephants, oh man, like, does that mean you're obsessed with pink elephants? No. But when it comes to intrusive thoughts, we hold to those like, oh my gosh, I just had this thought. I must believe this. So it's a process of being almost a passive observer of your thoughts and saying, oh, yep, I see that. Do I believe that? No. <laughs> okay, that's in my head. And in therapy, you can also go into why is that thought in my head? Right? Why does this theme keep popping up? with these intrusive thoughts. And that's something I really recommend doing with a therapist to kind of go a little bit deeper um, because that is, that is, you know, more personal. It goes into, Oh yeah, where did I learn this? Why is this important to me? Right. There's a lot of different aspects for, um, for those intrusive thoughts that come up. A lot of good analogies for, for these things, CD, but it's, it's building a practice. Um, you know, and, and one last thing I'll say about that is, you know, it's, it's the practice of mindfulness and that can get a bad rap for being kind of an Eastern tradition. Um, there's a really good book in another Catholic psychologist, Dr. Greg Bertero, uh, called the mindful Catholic. And actually this idea of this goes back, you know, to monasteries, to this contemplative life of looking at where are my thoughts directed, right? These, these monks and these nuns were thinking, okay, where are my thoughts going? Are my thoughts directed to God? Are they directed to good things? Are they directed to food, money, sex, right? Like, like materials, like what is, what is it, um, you know, what are my thoughts directed to in this? So that is a very Catholic approach that can be done and it takes practice. Um, it takes, time to build that in. And a lot of clients will say, you know, be aware of my thoughts and how I talk to myself, but I just keep like, I'll, I'll, I'll realize it like two minutes after like, Oh man, I was such a jerk to myself or, Oh, I just on that train. I didn't want to jump on. That's okay. You know, it's, I'm building this practice. I'm building this, this skill, right. This virtue of really intentionally looking at our thoughts and, and how we talk to even ourselves is, um, you know, is really important. Um, okay. Let's see. Next question is a really good one. This is somebody, someone, somebody asked me, um, does God want to heal me? Uh, as Catholics, as Christians, I think there can be a, an idea out there, right? We believe in redemptive suffering, that if we are suffering, if we have mental illness, if we have anxiety, if we have depression, that God has given me this cross to carry and that's it. Um, and so we can kind of get lost in that. It's okay. You know what? I'm suffering with this. I must just have to endure it. But scripturally, theologically, we believe in a God who made us for communion with him. We believe in a God who made us for life, right? A God of life, not a, not a God of the dead. And so when we look at the life of Christ, as he is establishing his kingdom on earth, what does he do? He's preaching the gospel and he is healing people that there are tons of people that he didn't have to heal. Could have been like, Oh yeah, you know what? Carry that cross of blindness of leprosy, but that he healed people. 
right? That Jesus went around building the kingdom of God and that involved true healing. And so we need to apply that to our own lives, that we shouldn't kind of accept that God doesn't want to heal me. We shouldn't accept, I'm just going to sit in this, in this suffering. We should pray for healing and we should pray for, um, for real tools to pursue that healing, right? That it's not always just God zap me and I'm going to feel better. Some, there are miracles. I believe in that. Um, but oftentimes God has already given us the miracle of putting tools in front of us to help us to grow better, right? That may mean talking to a therapist, talking to your priest, getting resources. It might mean journaling, really looking at what's going on in your life. It might mean deep breathing, you know, finding some good Catholic meditations um, on a daily basis. Um, it could mean finding some good uh, support groups, right? Um, some, some process groups, some, um, you know, groups that look at addictions, you know, depending on what's going on with you, but finding people that are sharing your similar struggles, that you don't have to carry this cross alone, that God is going to work through other people and God is going to heal you in these very real ways. Um, so God does, <laughs> God really does want to heal you. Um, and that's something where we have to have faith. We have to keep praying for that real healing. Um, let's see. What is another good question we have here? Oh, I'm kind of going off that. What are the benefits of group therapy versus individual therapy? This is a question that um, I had um, a undergrad student ask me who's studying psychology. So before I went into kind of working in the nonprofit area and the private practice, I worked for a therapy group that did primarily group therapy. And I worked with actually perpetrators of domestic violence. Um, I would work with male perpetrators. So they were arrested, convicted of domestic violence in some way. It would be, um, you know, violence towards wife, girlfriend, um, family members, you know, children. And so they were court mandated to be there 52 weeks every week for a year. Um, and so they were not always very happy to be there. <laughs> um, but really being that therapist facilitator of those groups was probably one of the best experiences I had. I did that for um, a handful of years starting out. Um, and group therapy is phenomenal. I will say it is um, because group therapy is a microcosm of the real world. So when you're talking about group therapy um, and then somebody else in the group comments on it, that's real life. <laughs> <laughs> right. The therapist isn't doing all the work in group therapy. Um, you know, they shouldn't be doing an individual therapy either, all of it, but in group therapy, group members bounce off of each other. So, you know what? I kind of noticed that you keep talking about this. This must be important to you. Oh, I kind of noticed that this keeps coming up. You know, you have members bouncing off each other and working with perpetrators, a diff difficult group. They didn't want to be there. Um, it was a really great experience and they really got to, um, you know, got to know each other and help each other heal and grow um, in great ways and individual that's so that's primarily what I do now individual psychotherapy um, individual therapy really is great for diving into those more personal issues um, especially abuse trauma unpacking those things it's a little bit easier obviously to be vulnerable in individual therapy um, as opposed to group therapy which again group therapy um, does go there depending on the group. Um, but individual therapy is obviously very much more focused on you, what's going on with you, um, 
you know, and you can really get into the, the details of what's, what's been going on, what's bugging you, what you want to talk about, specific tools, specific healing that you're looking for. Um, I recommend both. And sometimes you can even do both at the same time, right? To find a really good group to be attending and have individual therapy as well. And I, I recommend groups like AA um, or, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, Sexaholics Anonymous. There's a bunch of different groups right now. They're all on Zoom, I believe, at least in California. Um, and they can be very helpful. Just hearing other people's stories, you don't even have to share a lot of time, especially now it's on Zoom. I think you really can be anonymous. Um, you can sit in and hear what other people are, are you know, um, dealing with and how they are healing from these things as well. Um, okay, next question. Thank you for sharing. Any tips on how to stop feeling you have to earn God's love? Oh, that is a great question. Um, that is something that I personally um, have, you know, really come up against in my own life in the, you know, the past few years, but, um, it is such a big one that so many of us face. I think one of the biggest things, again, is preaching the gospel to yourself on a daily basis and specifically, right. This reminder that on the cross, um, before you were born, <laughs> Jesus died for you. Um, that, that Jesus knew all of your sins and all of your greatest accomplishments and said, you are worth dying for. If you were the only person that existed, um, that I would still die for you because you're worth it. That your life is purchased at a price and that there's nothing you can do to pay God back for that. There's nothing you can do to earn that. But that love, that gift of self um, is freely given. And that's kind of the, a paradox I think we have as human beings, especially in, in our fallen, you know, fallen nature, but even maybe Americans as well. Oh, this is free. It's freely given. Okay. What's the catch, right? What you want me to sign up for some membership? You know, what, what do you want from me, God? But that God's love is freely given. And even when we, we cannot lose God's love, right? We, we, sin is missing the mark. It's turning our back to God, but nowhere in that does God say, you know what? I've stopped loving you. <laughs> even when we sin, right? The image of the prodigal, the, the prodigal son and the father in that story, that the son wasn't even really sorry. He kind of did the bare minimum. And the father is, is there with open arms coming to the son saying, I'm going to throw the biggest feast for you, feast for you, that there's nothing you can do to lose God's love. And then in the same respect, there's nothing you can do to earn that redemption. Like I've checked off enough boxes. I'm finally a good Catholic. Okay, now I can talk to God, right? That's not what we believe. And that's what so many people can fall into. It's, I'm a mess. God doesn't want to look at me. You know, like go away, God, come back in a year when I'm, you know, I've improved myself. And that's a big trap. We need guys to help ourselves. We can't earn God's love. Um, and so that's such, a, such an important question. So I think, when it comes to tools for that and tips, first is reminding yourself of the gospel. Okay, if I can't earn God's love, then what is true? What does the church actually teach? What does Jesus actually want me to understand about this? Um, the, other, the other thing I would say is, especially with a good therapist, to ask, where did I learn this? Um, could be a lot of sources. It could be, again, society, could be work, could be school, could be our, our families of origin. Where did I learn that I had to earn love? Right. Was it I got straight A's and 
my parents loved me. <laughs> I took out the trash every day and God, you know, my parents loved me. Some of those things aren't even inherently bad. Most of them are inherently good, but what can it imply? Um, is that if I do these things, then I'll be loved. Then I'll earn God's love. And on contrast, right, this, you know, faith versus works, um, I think can be confused a lot too, is, you know, when our, when we know that our worth is in God, that we can't check off these boxes and, you know, earn God's love, um, then we stop trying to pursue or prove that I'm a good person, right? Oh, I'll be a good person. Like I said, I'll be a good person when I accomplish this or when I get a degree or when, you know, when I'm, you know, doing this when rosary every day, like then I'll be a good person. But when we have this understanding that I'm a good person, well, failing or not, right. In the sense that I am made in the image and likeness of God himself, that I am made for God. I'm called for God that I'm good. Um, that I can't lose that redemption. Like God's like, you know what? Going to take that back. It's not going to happen. When we understand that foundation from, oh, I should do this. Oh yeah, I should go to mass. Oh yeah, I should go to confession. Um, it shifts from that to, I don't have, to, I don't, I, I shouldn't, right? I, I don't have to prove, but now I want to. Okay, God died for me. That's truth. Um, my worth is in him. That's That's true. Now, what do I want to do? Not in the sense of like, I want to eat ice cream, but what do I want to do out of love for God? Okay, wow, God, God really did that for me. Now, how can I, how can I love him? Right? How can I live for him? What do I, how do I want to live my life? Um, so it's exploring, where did I learn that? And then kind of like I said with you know, OCD and intrusive thoughts, it's slowing down our thoughts and asking ourselves, what trains am I jumping on? Am I jumping on the trains that are like, oh, I have an anxiety that, if I don't do this, I won't be a good person because that probably leads us to that core belief, right? That deep belief we have that is I have to earn love. I have to earn God's love. So slowing down our thoughts, building that practice of mindfulness, awareness, right? Looking for God, even working in our thoughts and feelings um, helps us to understand, am I jumping on that false belief, false you know, thought train that I have to earn that love? So cultivating that awareness, that intentionality with our thoughts, um, with the help of good therapists, journaling, again, all these similar tools can really help us understand and kind of stop feeling like I have to earn this, right? Reminding ourselves the truth of the gospel. So that's an excellent question. And I could probably talk about that forever. Um, I will go on. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, how do we help destigmatize mental disorders um, and advocate for mental health? So that's, that's a big one. Um, kind of like I mentioned, so I know some people weren't here in the beginning, but I really talked about, actually, this is on the version of my live stream where, where I was muted or my audio wasn't working. But therapy is, first and foremost, a relationship with yourself. Um, and I think that's a Catholic approach to it because it's first reflecting God as true. Um, reflecting God's relationship, right? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit united in as one, right? Even though they're three persons. When we take the time to pause, to look at ourselves, to understand what's going on with ourselves, we're reflecting that, that relationship um, that, God, that God is. And so we're able to look at ourselves, what's going on. And I think um, destigmatizing men is 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 a is a big question a big problem because 
we can look at mental disorders as, oh, this is what's wrong with me. I have a label on me. That's who I am. Um, there is an effort, you know, especially in the mental health community to stop using kind of those identity assuming titles like, oh, this person is a schizophrenic. This person, you know, um, you know, isn't, this is an anxious person. Um, when really it's okay, this person has schizophrenia, right? This person struggles with anxiety. That might be something that, but that doesn't mean that it's a part of their identity. So that's a big part of it, but also understanding that we're all called to this deeper relationship with ourselves. We're all called to an interior life that it really helps if we have some, someone else there to guide us. Um, you know, someone to check in with and these things like that. Um, advocating for mental health is really being able to, I think, model that for ourselves. Um, you know, not being afraid to point people in the, you know, in the right direction to find a good therapist, to find somebody that they can talk to and even doing that ourselves first, like in modeling that. Um, I did have another question on here that's kind of related to that. So I can answer that. It's where can I find a good Catholic therapist? Um, there's a few really good resources. One of them is the is catholictherapist.com. And so they, I believe, have therapists by um, they, yeah, they have therapists by state, by region, I think. So you can look up a Catholic therapist in your area. One of the biggest things I will say is that people will email me saying, Hey, I want you know to see you for therapy. Is states have their own licensing boards. And so most states require that the therapist you see is in your state. So I'm in California. I cannot provide therapy to people in Arizona or Texas or these other states um, because those states have their own licensing boards. And so I would have to have my license in that state, which is not as easy. Um, so find someone good in your area. Telehealth is really popular right now. Um, it's super handy. There are Catholic therapists at your fingertips. Um, so that's catholictherapist.com is one option. There's another group called Catholic psychotherapist association cpa they also i believe have a directory by state um and being a part of that association you just see how many thoughtful well-formed therapists um physicians and psychologists there are um that are living their catholic faith and treating people all over the united states so that is very promising so check out and look up good catholic therapists psychologists in your um, in your area. And guys, again, thank you for your, your comments here. I'm loving seeing this. Um, it's, it's all new to me. Um, let's see what next question is, what is the most difficult thing about therapy? Oof, that's a hard one. Uh, that's difficult. <laughs> um, I would say the most difficult thing about therapy is a radical honesty and a radical openness to self, um, and to God. And why I say that, I think the average number of therapy sessions for someone who goes to therapy is three. So it takes about um, three sessions before many people give up. And sometimes they'll say, it's too hard. I don't want to do this. But sometimes people also say the therapist isn't, good, isn't a good fit. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it can kind of be like, wow, I have never told anybody that before, right? That's something that, that we can kind of hear in therapy. Um, and, oh, I'm frozen. Am I unfrozen? 
hopefully I'm not frozen anymore. Um, let's see. Am I still frozen? Can you guys hear me? Okay, well, I'll keep talking. Hopefully I will unfreeze. Um, cool. So yeah, so people come in and they'll say, you know, I've never told anybody that in therapy before. And, uh, you know, as a therapist, it really isn't about me, right? Oh my gosh, they just told me something so personal, right? When someone comes into therapy and they, you know, they, they say something that has been on their hearts that they never said out loud, it really is about speaking that truth to yourself. It's, you know what, this happened to me as a child. You know what, this is my experience. You know what, I'm so just all the time. We say that out loud and it becomes real to us, right? Yeah, you're speaking it to another human being. You're speaking it to a therapist, but you're also saying it out loud to yourself. And so out loud, I realize, right? It's this radical, radical honesty that, that uh, you know, therapy provides. Um, and so that is probably the hardest thing because people don't want to say things. Um, there's shame, there's embarrassment. If I say this out loud, I'm going to be judged or I'm going to judge myself. Right. Um, so I, I would have to say that's, that's the, the most difficult thing about therapy that I've seen. Okay. And again, I have a couple minutes left, but if you have any questions at all, please feel free to, um, post them in the chat. Um, next question I have here is, why did you get into the helping mental health field? Okay, that's a good one. Um, so interestingly enough, as I went to a Catholic high school, I went on a few retreats. I went on a retreat called Kairos, if anybody's familiar with it. Um, and I loved it, right? I was kind of quiet in high school and it was an all boys school. I didn't really feel like I fit in with the jocks, but I went on this, this retreat and I thought, wow, everybody is carrying their own cross. It was the first time I saw this vulnerability amongst other guys and it was beyond small talk. It was beyond joking around. And I felt like my heart was really called to retreats in that way. And so long story short, you know, I graduated high school, I actually tried studying uh, industrial engineering for a while. And then I thought, I just want to work with people. And I studied college, but the whole time, you know, retreats were kind of um, a reoccurring theme in my life. And I thought it was this, you know, retreats really are an encounter with God and oftentimes a healing encounter with God. It's a reminder that God wants to work in our lives. God wants us to say yes. God wants to give us tools. Um, so I really want to say retreats <laughs> helped me a lot in why I wanted to go into the mental health field. I wanted to go deeper than small talk or how's the weather and I wanted to work with people and I, I've seen God heal in so many ways. And so that was really that too. Okay. Let's see. Maybe do last question here. Um, okay. Which one do I choose? <laughs> um, and you're welcome. Thank you guys for tuning in. I see some more comments. Um, I guess I'll finish. What are some real tools to deal with anxiety? Um, because that, that's a really good question. So like I, like I mentioned in the beginning, I highly, highly recommend activities that build your awareness of yourself and your thoughts. If your anxiety is there, it does not define you. Um, it is something that you carry, something that you are not alone in, um, and it's something that we can name. That is an anxious thought. Oh, that is, that is me jumping to the worst case scenario. We can build this practice 
without kind of uh, fully believing that, right? Oh my gosh, I'm anxious. That means this is going to happen, right? Or kind of getting on that train and running with the anxiety. We can take that step back and build that intentional practice of mindfulness and say, okay, do I want to get on this train? Where is this train leading? Is this a helpful train? Um, and so we can cultivate that and journaling, um, even writing letters to people that, uh, that we want to say things, um, that we wouldn't normally say to can really, and the biggest thing with letters is I always tell my clients, do not send the letters, right? So that's the biggest caveat. Do not send them, <laughs> but process your own thoughts and feelings for your sake. And probably the other big tool I would say is give yourself permission to be anxious, not to be overrun by it, but to say again, okay, I have permission. I have the ability to feel how I'm feeling. And now I've accepted that it's there. Now I can look and say, what do I do with it? What can I do with it? Right. It changes it. If we can say, give ourselves permission to recognize it, to name it and to look at it. So writing is huge. Talking about it, like I said, that radical. Um, so talk to God, take this to prayer. Um, and that you really can um, share these, these struggles with. Um, breathing, deep breathing is a huge tool as well. There's a lot of great um, Catholic meditations that you can do that incorporate breathing like the Jesus prayer or just, you know, comely spirit, um, going to adoration and just trying to focus on your breath. Um, something I learned in grad school is just, you know, when you breathe, try to inflate your stomach, not your lungs, right? To get that deep breath, to get oxygen to your brain, to help you, um, you know, really to think um, about, think clearly and think about what's going on in your head. Um, so those are a few good tools, a lot of writing, a lot of that self-reflection. Exercise is huge. And I heard somewhere um, that, somewhere that, um, exercising, uh, walking 10 minutes briskly every day has the same effect on your brain as antidepressants. Um, and anxiety and depression go hand in hand, right? So, you know, people deal with anxiety and manifest in a lot of different ways. And so, um, you know, exercise is huge, right? Um, yes, I like that. <laughs> That's a good reminder that, you know, there is, um, there is purgatory <laughs> and that a lot of our suffering. I think that important reminder isn't for nothing, right? That our suffering isn't for nothing, that God is um, a divine healer and he's a divine gardener and he takes the um, crud in our life and he makes fruit be born out of that, right? <laughs> he is a gardener. He doesn't cause the suffering, but he does work with it and make good come out of it. And on that note, I think I will wrap up tonight. Um, so again, I want to thank you all for joining in. This is the first time I'm doing it. I had a lot of fun. Um, I am so sorry about the audio for the first probably like 15 minutes. I know that was some difficulty, but hey, I'm learning. And uh, I'm glad that people um, stuck around for it. So if you have any questions at all, please feel free to shoot me an email or um I do have an Instagram account, so you can um, DM me on there. It's just the Catholic therapist. I think it's Catholic underscore therapist. Um, so you can check that out. Feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear uh, more from you guys. If you have questions, then I can answer those questions next time. Um, I guess we'll, we'll just close in prayer really quick here. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for 
just this opportunity. We thank you for technology, being able to answer some of these hard questions tonight. And invite you into our, our thoughts and our feelings. We know that you have made us in all its fullness. Amen. Thank you guys and God bless.